0: We'll we'll be picking it up in uh, Genesis chapter 35 this morning uh, in our study, Genesis God and Man, as if you didn't know that. Uh, But the title of this morning's message is Dwell There, Dwell There. Now we're going to see more of Jacob and his sons throughout the rest of Genesis. But this morning, we're really finishing up the focus on Jacob. The focus is going to shift to Joseph after another chapter. This morning, we're going to look at Jacob and his family. And we're even going to see uh, Isaac for a bit at the end of Isaac's life. But as we looked at Jacob's life, we remember that he fled to uncle Laban, that he fell in love with Rachel, that he worked seven years for her. And his uncle tricked him and married off Leah first. And so Jacob works seven more years and he marries Rachel, the woman he loves. But they were barren. Uh, And so he ended up through the course of time marrying Bilhah and Zippah, the maids uh, of Rachel and Leah. And he ends up having 11 sons and one daughter. And we saw last week the tragedy of what happened with that one daughter, Dinah. I hope her life went on after that and moved forward. But we, it was awful. We saw that he only had one son so far through his beloved wife, Rachel. That one son's name was Joseph. and As we'll see, that's the man that Genesis begins to follow after this chapter. But we're not quite there yet. And as we start to study this morning, a few questions. Where do you and I dwell? Well, we know where we live. We know that our time there is somewhat limited as we're looking for a house and they're selling the house that we're in, but Where do we really dwell? Where do we spend our time? You know, when I travel for work, I'm dwelling in a hotel, it's not my home. I try and make it like home. I you know, watch a little YouTube, I video chat with you guys. I try and dwell and do the same things I would do at home, but it's not home. I just can't wait to get home. I enjoy traveling for work and seeing my coworkers be in the office and doing those things, but at the end of the day, I just would rather be home. I think we all would rather be home. That's why we call it home. Home is where the heart is, right? But with that, where we dwell, who do we depend on? You know, little Timmy's totally dependent on you and I, and even his brothers and sisters to take care of him. But who do we depend on? Who are we totally dependent on? Perhaps we've grown up and we haven't grown out. A friend was telling me about a brother that, got one brother that, is up and out, and the other brother just doesn't seem to want to grow up. A little too dependent. But who do we call on, and who do we trust in when we're in need? When we need advice, when we need counsel? When we're dwelling, and something upsets that dwelling, where do we turn? And how would you and I describe ourselves? Perhaps we spend too much time describing ourselves with status updates, and job titles and what we wear and drink and we try and express ourselves with our custom license plates and stickers on the back of our car. Guilty as charged, Montana life on the back of the Tahoe. But are you a new person? Or are you the old one? Have you remained unchanged or have you been changed and time to time that old life flares back up? Let's consider these things where we dwell this morning in this message. And Lord, we ask that this morning you would definitely speak to us in your word as only you can. Holy Spirit, you administer to us and cause us to dwell with you and be the new man and new woman that you've died for us to be and designed and always intended us for us to be uh, before the fall. God, we pray you bless our friends, our neighbors, uh, the church in your area, that God, we'd all dwell in your house this morning. Thank you that We can dwell in your house. And Lord, we'd rather be doorkeepers in your house than anywhere else. And we love you, God, and trust you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read the first five verses together. We're going to take the chapter in a couple different size chunks this morning. But Genesis 35, verse 1 says, Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau your brother, And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves, and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands, and the earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them underneath the terebinth tree, which was by Shechem. Uh, If you remember, Shechem was where everything happened with Dinah. And they journeyed, and the uh, terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. We see that God, it says, Then God said, after all that's happened, after all the journey, fleeing Laban, fleeing, uh, uh, well, coming and meeting with Esau, and now dwelling in Shechem and all the drama and problems and tragedy there, Then God said, you know, God had instructed Jacob earlier to go to Bethel and he stopped short. So God says to him again, Arise, go up to Bethel. And when we see God's call on people's lives throughout the scripture, one thing that I've noticed, and and maybe it's not the most common thing, but something that stuck out the most to me in the past few years is that he says arise a lot. You know, to get up from where you're placed, get up from where you're dwelling, get up from where you're comfortable get up out of your bed and go. And you go up to Bethel. And it's interesting that God tells him to make an altar to God. That Elohim, plural, tells him to make a, an altar to God. You know, Jacob, this is the true and living God talking to you, but you've got other gods in your life. I want you to go up to Bethel and make an altar to the true and living God. Make an altar there. Deuteronomy 6, 4-9 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You know, that there's this plural deity that is one God. He's plural in personality, in the Trinity, but He's one God. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be in the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. That this command to serve and love God was to be primarily in their heart. You see that Israel takes these other commands and actually makes things out of them that puts a box on their head and things on their hands and in the doorpost of their house. I think those are all uh, uh, pictures and good pictures, but to forget, to keep God's Word in our heart. That way, whenever we go, like Jacob says, the God who is with me wherever I went, that it will be with us. That we don't need to, to be at home to dwell with God, that we can dwell with God wherever He is because He dwells within our hearts. But sadly, I fear that a lot of us, even Christians, even the church, have set up altars to a God, or maybe even multiple gods, but not be God, not El Elohim, the God that the Bible reveals. Sometimes I think we even lift up, like the Israelites did, the Scripture, the Word of God, which is good. We do need to hold the Word of God in high esteem above His name. But the Bible is not our God. The Bible reveals our God. And if we make the Bible even our God, we become legalistic. We forget that God loves people and begin to beat them with it. And that's not what God's heart is. Remember, Moses couldn't enter into the promised land because he beat the rock, right? But he says, Make an altar to the God who appeared to you when you fled from Esau, the face of Esau, your brother. And God, I think, is interesting that he's reminding uh, Jacob of his brother, reminding him of the time at the rock when he laid his head down, he had those dreams, the first time that they spoke. And that it was interesting that it was um, in this time with his brother that all this happened. In Revelation 2 4 through 5 it says, Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from this place, unless you repent. And then God was reminding Jacob, and hey, man, Jacob, you're doing well for a time. I gave you this promise. You didn't quite believe me. You went away to Laban, but at some point in that time with Laban, you began to trust in me and call on me. But sometime between now and and meeting your brother Esau, I mean then, meeting your brother Esau, and now, you've kind of fallen away from me, Jacob, so I'm reminding you, go up to Bethel. Go up, make an altar there. Remember who I am to you. Remember all the way back to the time when your brother wanted to kill you, and you are on the run and sleeping on a rock, and I promised you, all the way back then when you had nothing and were nothing, Jacob. You know, there's somewhere between this then and now, he had turned back from being so godly. He was in neutral in coast and they settled down in Shechem and we saw what happened there. You know, it potentially cost him a restored relationship with his brother. I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm reading between the lines a little bit on this one, but we see that Esau was ready to be back with his brother. You see, Esau had totally forgiven him. Esau wanted his brother to come back to him where he was. But that never happened and Jacob lied to him and never went with him. It led his family to that place where his daughter was raped, and his sons murdered an entire city in retribution. But God tells Jacob to do this. And so what does Jacob do? Jacob tells his his family, get rid of your idols. We need to get rid of our idolatrous ways. We are going to make an altar to God. We are getting back on the right path with God. Too much has happened. God spoke to me again in His mercy and His grace. And I'm going to follow him, and like Joshua would say to his family, as for me and my house this day, we will serve the Lord. And it reminds me of Josiah, the young boy king, that uh, they find the scripture, they begin to read it, and what does he begin to do from there? They tear down the high places. They tear, He begins to go around and tear down all these things that the other kings and people had set up. And whenever we encounter the word of God, whether it's in scripture directly, God Shows up and speaks to us like to Jacob or from someone in our lives or even on TV, believe it or not, wherever it is, it's going to tell us to get rid of the other things that we trust in. It's going to challenge us to stop worshiping the false gods that we worship, to stop bowing down our lives to the things that we give our lives to and begin to worship God in holiness, to begin to look to God for everything that we can't do both. We either listen when God shows up in our lives and speaks to us, or we don't. There's no middle ground here, guys. We don't. We can't truly listen. We might hear, but we're not being obedient. And we can't be obedient if we don't hear. And how can they hear without a preacher, right? But there can be no middle ground. There's no serving God and mammon. I have a friend right now who's going through a real ringer and feels like God's calling him to work somewhere else that's going to cost him a lot. A lot of money per year and even have to move. But he just keeps thinking that perhaps this is what God has for him. That the path he was pursuing of his career and money, it just was sucking the life out of him. And not that we have to get rid of a, a well-paying job or we have to be poor. We need to learn to be abased or abound. And whatever state we're in is a state that God would have us be in. But sincerely, man, how many people have pierced themselves through, the scripture says, in the pursuit of riches and wealth instead of God. We may lose things. We have to give up things. We may have to change the people that we're around when we begin to follow God. It may cost us a lot, but it'll never cost us our spiritual life. We'll always have a gain and a blessing in it. But man, if we begin to hang on to the blessings and the gain of the world, we find ourselves man, lost and pierced through. For what does it gain a man um, if he gets the whole world and loses his soul? We remember that Rachel had stolen her dad's idol, Laban, probably out of uh, spite when they were fleeing him. Um, she sat on it and lied to him that they had it. Uh, but it seems either then, or you know maybe we weren't told about all the other idols going on, but somewhere between then and now, his family and his people have let a lot of idolatry creep in. They've taken hold of the gods of the lands that they've passed through and come through. They've taken their money. They've made earrings. They've had possessions and idols to show what they're worshipping. And Jacob tells them exactly what God told him, And he tells them exactly what they're going to do. And unlike when he hid it from his brother. He didn't tell his brother where he was going or what he was doing. But they had these foreign gods. They had these earrings too. That somehow these earrings that they would wear, this jewelry that they had, whether it was pictures of the, of the gods, symbols, or just somehow it was related to this worship that they would adorn themselves with things that represented their idolatry i mean don't we like t-shirts that have printed slogans and logos on it don't we need to have the car with the right brand on the back of it you know i I take the brands i try and take the brands off my car because i think it looks cleaner but i'm also i'm not an advertisement you know people leave the dealer plates on. i'm like you don't need to do that take that off your advertising (laughs) they're not paying you but sincerely that's what they're doing they're showing even in what they wear about who they worship, right? And it's interesting that a lot of times when you first get saved, you want to put the Christian bumper sticker on, the ichthus on the back of your car, and that's good and and, good and, and valiant. But man, you better drive. You better drive like a Christian at the point, point. And would God be proud of your uh, <laughs> rusted out piece of junk? I don't know. <laughs> that doesn't matter. Those things don't matter. But sincerely, what business, Christian, do you and I have dealing with any foreign god? What business do we have representing and even being an advocate in the way we dress and act and drive? Pantheism. Oh, well, God is good, but I also like the sayings of Buddha. Or, oh, yeah, it's the same God but with Muslim and Christianity. No, it's not. This one will hurt a few. No one in this room, but yoga. It's just stretching. Is it Really? Are you not bowing down and worshiping and looking for your inner peace and chakra and aligning yourself with foreign gods? But it gives me the body I want. There's other ways to exercise, is there not? I'm probably not the chief one to answer those questions on what the best exercise is, but sincerely, aren't there other ways than doing something that has ties to another god, another religion? What about lifting up and embracing and endorsing changing your social media icon to go along with what the world is celebrating on a certain month? Or dare even the things I've seen that people have brought into the church itself and done from the pulpit. It's not that's not God's altar there. It's an altar to a god for sure. Psalters the enemy. It's uh, getting close to the abomination of desolation. But maybe there's a method of adorning yourself in worship to these gods. A way of modern dress or style or a way modern women carry themselves that perhaps is not fitting for you and I, Christian. Just because the world gets certain tattoos or certain piercings or cuts their hair in a certain way, where the world thinks it's acceptable to show this part of your body or that part, male and female? Should we? Do we worship at the same altar that those fashion people worship? I hope not. But it's interesting that Jacob, he takes these idols, these earrings, and he buries them by a terebinth tree. We Remember that Abraham had a special spot with God by a terebinth tree, that there's these things and these places where we meet with God let put them there. And I think it's interesting that he buried them there, perhaps where God spoke to him. But I also think it's interesting that he just hid them. That he not he doesn't excuse me, he doesn't destroy them. I think he should have destroyed them. Because you know, hiding things won't always do it. Someone's gonna find them, or maybe you'll run back and dig them up. At least I think at this point, at least his family doesn't have them and they can get away from this point. And maybe it's symbolic, he's you know, burying there, but it's interesting that he hid them there. You know, perhaps he was saving them for a rainy day. You know, if we come back here, I'll know where they are. I don't know. Maybe he wasn't thinking that on top, but I remember getting saved and I had all this music and all these movies, and I threw them out. I went I was at church and the pastor was telling me about when he got saved and he threw everything out and I had thousands of dollars of CDs and movies, binders full of all this stuff, and threw it out. And I took them all outside, put them in a box, went down to the dumpster. Pfft. They were already in a box. I already wasn't listening to them. They had to be thrown out. And don't get me wrong, there's some of those movies that over time I bought back, realized, okay, I can watch this and it's okay. But for me, it was like, I just need a clean slate. I don't want anything to do with this old thing. And then there's even some music that I listen to time and time again. But you know what? I find a lot of the music, even the stuff that wasn't bad, Begins to change the attitude of my heart, and so I don't listen to it. I can't hide it. I can't hold on to it. And I'm glad I don't have it anymore. Because the things we hide tend to creep back if they're not completely destroyed. We need to destroy those desires, destroy those things that we turn to for comfort. But it's interesting that it says that change your clothes. Today you and I kind of read over like, well, we change our clothes how many times today are we gonna change our clothes? I was wearing my pajamas. i changed into clothes to come to church. i will probably wear comfortable clothes later on at home. Sometimes we change multiple times, especially my little girls. They love to dress up. But not so long ago, even in our own time, let alone back then, clothes were much more expensive. You wore them for much longer. And they changed a lot less. You might only have one pair of clothes or two pair of clothes maybe. And this change was more significant for them. You change your clothes back in the day, but hey, what's a special occasion? What's the big deal? What happened? Why are you wearing something different? So, Well, they need to have an outward sign. They need to get rid of anything that would represent their defilement that they would have been involved with before. And so, again, it needed to be an outward sign of their repentance. Whether they repented inwardly or not, it's not the point. But they did obey Jacob. And they journeyed. And it says that the fear of God was upon everyone because of them. That reminds me of, like in Acts, the fear of God came on people when and Ananias and Sapphira died. And they lied to God. But Jacob was so afraid that all these people were going to come after them after what happened in Shechem. And perhaps they wanted to, but they were afraid to. It says it, was, it wasn't just a, a fear of Jacob, fear of what happened to them, but there was a holy fear that fell on all these people around them. And I don't know if that would have happened if Jacob stood around. As Jacob began to leave, they let them leave. Just like in Egypt, they let the Israelites go, right? But God protected them. Jacob had been of what Jacob had been so afraid of, God was taken care of supernaturally. Isn't that the case? That man, we have so many worries and cares in our life, and we try and figure them out, and what are we gonna do? And I can't believe, and we get an argument, but you know what? God's got it taken care of. He's handling it in the spiritual realm, and we don't need to worry ourselves with it. You know, they had favor. Israel had favor. Remember Rahab, the people of Jericho were afraid of had this holy fear of what was gonna happen because of Israel being able to defeat all their enemies around them. But you know, people always won't fear God. They won't always leave you alone because of God. In fact, sometimes they'll seek you out to ridicule you because you fear God. But know that God will always get you where you need to be. There's always this prayer in Christian circles about traveling mercies. And I get it, but I think it's a little funny. But Jacob sincerely had traveling mercies of God with him this day let read 6 through 8. It says, verse 6, So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, and he and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there and called the place El-Bethel, because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried below Bethel, under the terebinth tree. So the name of it was called Elan-Bakuth. We'll stop there for now. Uh, Luz or Luz was the old name. It means almond tree. And Bethel means house of God. You know, El is God, so Bethel. But Jacob calls it El Bethel, or God of the house of God, which I think is interesting because Jacob, I think, wanted it clear that God personally showed up to him in this place. It wasn't just some place where God lived, but that God himself was there. God himself had his angels descending and ascending, that he stood above there and ministered to him in that very place, that there was this personal God, like we've seen all throughout Genesis. So Genesis God a man where he is a personal God. And that Jacob's meeting with God is so intertwined with the relationship with his twin brother. See about the things that God spoke to his mom during uh, the, her pregnancy, about how they grew up and the promise and the birthright and the struggle for that. But even now, when God first, when He really first heard God, and God showed up to Him, was when He was fleeing from his twin brother. God met Him in that hard time. And it just reminds me always of that Scripture that says, "There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother." That in the middle of the trial of this relationship, that intertwined between probably the deepest relationship you have in His life, even though He wasn't close with His brother, His heart obviously is going to be tied to His twin. And God met Him there. And God reminded him of that. And God brought him back here again. to remember that when he left and he came back, he hadn't quite gone all the way back, that this is the place where he slept and laid down and God spoke to him and he said, God, you know, if you show yourself to me, I'll follow you when we get back here. And guess what? He's back here and he's following God, right? He's going all the way home now. He was afraid to go back home. He was afraid, I think, to look at the places of his old stomping grounds, to see if his family was still there and what was going on. But as they go, uh, one of Rachel's maids, Deborah, was buried here. She died. And we, you know, I looked at the commentary, I'm like, did I miss Deborah? Have I missed this before? Um, But the commentary says, we know nothing of this woman before this account. Uh, She came with Rebecca as a companion, perhaps from Haran to marry Isaac. Obviously she was a beloved member of their family because they call it Oak of Weeping. You know that this, this place has a has a hard place in the heart that there's death on this road for them. And sadly, this wouldn't be the last death on this travel for them. This travel would have some joy, but a lot of it was full of death. You know, think of the hard time coming out from Dinah and Esau and Laban. And it's not over yet. Sometimes that's the way life happens. We just keep getting hit blow after blow after blow. But how important it is that we have these altars set up to God that God might carry us through let's go on verse 9 says then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him and God said to him your name is Jacob your name shall not be called Jacob anymore but Israel shall be your name so God called his name Israel and God said to him I am God Almighty Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac I give to you, and to your descendants after you I give this land. Then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. So Jacob set up a pillar in the place where where God talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him, Bethel. And we see that God appeared to Jacob again. And now that Jacob is where God wants him to be, he's being obedient. He's gotten rid of the idols. He's leading his family in a right way. At least outwardly, they're following. He's hearing from God regularly. And are you and I hearing from God regularly? That's hard for me to say this morning, regularly. But do we have that time set up? Devotional time in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening? Is it regular? Encourage you to have it be as first thing in the morning as you can possibly make it. Do we have church together? Do we worship together at home in our own time? Do we have fellowship? You know, it's a little hard to fellowship where we are right now. We're, we're praying that God would bring more people, uh, not only for fellowship for us, but for the church we have some fellowship out here, but we still try and make that a a do with video chat and texting. And thankfully, we're able to keep in contact with our believing friends. Do we pray? How important is to pray to God for those worries? Because if we don't pray to him, we don't give him our worries. What are we going to do? We're going to turn to something else. We're going to put our trust in something else. We're going to worry. Again, you can't serve God and them, and you're going to do one or the other. There's no middle ground. But do we have our hearts set up? Are we repentant and contrite and more ready to hear than to speak when we come into the presence in the house of God? And also, if we're hearing from Him or want to hear from Him, are we doing what we know we should be doing? Well, the last thing God told you to do, if you haven't been doing it, well, you might not be hearing from Him until you do. Have we put off doing the good? You know, James 4.17, this is a tough verse in the Bible says, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin, that even not doing a good thing is sinful. You know, Israel didn't hear from God for over 400 years, from Malachi to when the Messiah was born. And You know, technically it was when John the Baptist birth, and the angel showed up to his dad Zechariah in the temple. But the good news was that Jesus was born, even though there was all that silence. Israel didn't have to get right, for God to speak to them again. Even more than that, Israel didn't have to get right for God to send the Savior to them. In fact, they were probably at their worst and God sent the Savior to them in that moment. Just like when Jacob didn't know God and he was running for his life and at his worst, God showed up to him. And even now, Jacob hadn't been obedient. God showed up to what? Remind him, right? If you and I haven't heard from God, perhaps we need to turn back to our first love like the verse reads before. I always remember when I think about going back to my first love, is first getting saved and just reading my Bible in my little room in upstate New York, reading Corinthians, and just the light, the little lamp on, a little bit of light, a warm light, and just, you remember the weird, colorful bedspread that I had, I think it used to be my sister's, but I just remember I have this picture, you know, just being in love with God and reading the Bible. I didn't know much. I still wasn't, I'm still not, but I just remember just. The warmth of being in love with God there. But if you and I haven't heard from God, and we haven't left our first love, and we're being obedient, keep being obedient. Keep waiting on Him. Keep holding on to the last thing that He did tell us. Because He will speak again, but sometimes we just have to go through a season of silence and trusting what He last told us. I find that hard to do sometimes i always want to repeat i always want another word but god repeats what he told jacob in chapter through chapter 32 this isn't the first time god tells him to go by israel but somewhere between then and here he's forgotten back when they wrestled all night jacob kind of strayed a little bit and wasn't being israel so god says your name is jacob but it's time to be israel your name is heel catcher deceiver supplanter but it's time for you, Jacob, to be governed by God. I'm, I'm, I'm the boss in your life. I'm calling the shots. I'm blessing you. And not in a dictator way, but man, Jacob, this is, this is who we are. This is you and I. You're Israel, and I'm God. And sometimes we need that reminder, especially from the mouth of God, of who we are in Jesus. Especially if we backslidden or we've fallen. I know I do. But God says, "You'll be a company of nations, and kings shall come from your body." That man, this promise is going to be so big—not just Israel, but nations and nations are going to come out. You think about all the children he has, and all the you know things that spring up from there. That kings shall come from your body. What a glorious promise! That kings would come from him, and would this not, and at least, be partially, somewhat fulfilled immediately in Joseph, who would become second in command of all Egypt? That the son that he already had was alive and born would be a king in some sense in Egypt. And I believe that God loves to give us tastes of his promise to us. You know, just like when mom's in the kitchen making the brownies or the cake and you come in as a kid and she lets you have a little taste of the icing, or a little taste of the cake or of the mixer or whatever is going on. God loves to do that. So I'm making something so good for you, son or daughter. Daddy, daddy, what is it? Mommy, mommy, can I taste? And he gives a little bit of taste. And I think that's what God is doing here. But boy, do we need ears to hear and eyes to see it when he does. But God went up from the place when he talked with him. You know, God literally went up. He ascended that they were talking and he ascended. So I don't know whether he actually saw Christophany or there was a man there speaking with him or whether it was just he sensed God's presence go back up. Remember, Jesus is ascended in front of his disciples, right? I think God is just giving Jacob taste after taste after taste. And this word, uh, to speak, means to speak, talk, command, promise. And it's this intimate to one another feel to it as well. But isn't that the case? When God speaks to us, it's all these wonderful things at once. Yes, he's speaking to us, but he's speaking with us. He's talking to us, but he's also commanding us. But even in the commands, it's also a promise, right? And there's this intimacy that when God talks, it's not just this one-sided, do what you're told and that's it, soldier. Or here's what you need to do. Or just this nonchalant chat. It's all these wonderful, beautiful things in one. And so Jacob sets up the altar. He offers to God there, you know, because guess what? It's not an altar if there's no offering. It's just a pile of rocks. And so he pours out this drink offering and he pours out oil and the commentary talks about the idea of a drink offering being found often in the Bible. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Uh, the drink offering was made with wine poured out on the sacrifice before the Lord at his altar. That it was this, uh, you know, pouring out of oneself. It wasn't Jesus poured out on the altar right there. And Paul considered that the pouring out of his own life before God was a drink offering. Uh, the commentary also message I think it's good, that Jacob's heart of worship showed gratitude towards God. And when we look back on life, we should never have the attitude says that I was robbed Instead, our hearts and say, God is blessed. That even when we've lost, it's a blessing. I think Jacob sees that here, that even through all he's been through, that God has been with him, even when he is following God and not following God, that God was with him. And that's what this altar, this pouring out, this giving thanks, this worship time is about. And that's so important. When we worship God, we're not only worshiping Him for who He is, but they worship Him personally. Man, thank you, God, for this or that time or what you brought me through thank you god for this thing that i felt like was robbery I felt i was getting ripped off but god you've allowed it for a reason I thank you for that romans 12 1 and 2 says i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of god that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable to god which is your reasonable service and like before he talked about the idolatry do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, they may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's go on. we we'll read another few verses. And read about another death. It says, Then they journeyed from Bethel, when there was a little distance to go to Ephrath, Ephrath, and Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had hard labor. Now it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said to her, Do not fear, you will have this son also. And so it was, as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. Then Israel journeyed and pitched his tent beyond the Tower of Eder. And it happened when Israel dwelt in the land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. Strange last verse there, stuffed in the middle of this little section. They travel from Bethlehem to Ephr- Ephrath, or Bethlehem. Maybe it's about 20 miles, rough estimate. You know, so in our day and age, it'd be 20 minutes. In their day and age, it might be you know two days or three days, um, maybe a little bit more depending on how much they're taking. But they're going back to be with their family. They're about to have this baby, and uh, reminds me of being pregnant on the way, Mary and Joseph and Jesus, right? but it says she has hard labor and I've never gone into labor, but isn't all labor hard. <laughs> I don't know that even if it's a quick birth, it's easy labor, but she has this severe labor, this distressful labor. You know, we had concerns from my wife when she was pregnant with our last just because of uh, the other pregnancies um, we were praying and God assured us early on that the baby would be okay, but everything went okay. But thankfully we had modern medicine. We have a hospital close by that we could go to. They didn't have that. And so she ends up dying and as she's dying, she's concerned for the baby. You know, when uh, pregnancy goes bad or the labor goes bad, mom will die. The baby will die or both of them can die. You know, we have cesarean today, but man, the baby was okay. And, and the midwife tells her, you know, it's okay. You're having a son, you're having a son, even though she's bleeding out there. Getting cold and baby's crying. He's okay and he's born safely. And so she names him son of her sorrow. Maybe a sorrow about her maid Deborah. Maybe it's just the sorrow of dying, you know, son of my death sort of thing. This family has experienced birth and death together. Deborah dies. Now the beloved wife, beloved mother, Rachel dies. And yet they had this little baby boy, this little joy there for them. What a hard time! I, you know, I, I'm not gonna, I can't lie, and I think that I, I couldn't imagine having this baby and my wife dying and what that would be like. You know, that thought definitely crossed my mind a few times. But what a hard time for Jacob, Israel, and his family. The loss of the love of his life. It's a good thing God spoke to him. I don't know how you get through something like that if God hadn't been speaking to you. And so Jacob doesn't let his son be named after sorrow. The sorrow isn't all-encompassing. I think he's got something to hold on to with God. And he doesn't want his boy to have this over him his entire life. You know, it's got to be hard enough going through life without a mom. And I love my mom. I'm so glad I've had her and she was there for me when I was little. And even now she's there for me. But to know that she died in childbirth for you, that's got to be a weight. And then to have your name, be son of sorrow. know. Uh, so Jacob changed that. Jacob understands the importance of a name and calls him Benjamin or Benjamin, Son of the right hand. You know, the right hand is a symbol of strength and authority. You know, sit at my right hand. Uh, the disciples wanted to sit at Jesus' right and left. And he's like, you guys have no idea what you're asking for. You know, talk about the thieves on the cross his right hand. But We get to this strange verse here after her death, you know, that they go through all these tragedies. Rachel's Rachel dies. Benjamin, little baby Benjamin is born. But now this strange verse So they're dwelling here again. Why are they not in Bethel? I don't know. Should they have stayed there? But during this hard time after it, I don't know how long the time difference is here. But Reuben, the firstborn, ends up sleeping with his dad's concubine. You know, technically, in a way, it's his stepmom. His brother, Dan, and Nathali's mom, this weird talk show TV thing shows up. I guess they just have to stick it in there and let us know what happened. But it says that Jacob knew about it and he doesn't really say anything or doesn't do anything that we're told of. This this weird stuff just happens and Jacob kind of lets, you know, like we saw with um, Dinah that found out about it, but he didn't do anything. Uh, Jacob just doesn't step up and I think, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of conflict in Jacob. You know, there's a lot of, Weird and messed up things happen in this family and I appreciate it because it shows that God is with them and that, man, the people of the Bible are real just like we are. Uh, even in the worst of situations, God says, yeah, you know, I, I've been there. I've the family. I've known people. with the same thing. But it's interesting, I think, uh, Reuben wasn't one of the guys who went out to avenge Dinah. Perhaps his own desires kept him from going forth in righteousness. Perhaps him and You know, Dan and Naphtali's mom have been looking at each other in a weird way. And he was like, Well, if I go out and kill them, does that mean they're going to kill me if anything happens? I don't know. I don't know. It's just food for thought. But let's go on. Uh, It says, verse 23 Now the sons of Jacob were 12. The sons of Leah were Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's maidservant, were Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Zilpah, Leah's maidservant, were Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan and Moran. And just a real touch on 22, again, so it comes to mind. I remember one of David's sons, uh, when he was trying to take over, ends up doing the same thing with one of his dad's concubines on the roof in the presence of Israel to try and disrespect his dad on purpose and, and take over. But So I don't know what's going on with Reuben here. Uh, maybe he was upset about all those idols. But 27 says Then Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, a Kurdjath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac dwelt. So he gets back home. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. So Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, being old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. We see a recap of Jacob's 12 sons. They're not ordered by their birth here, they're ordered by wife. And the incision that Leah is listed first and then Rachel. Um, and then, the, then the the concubines or the the servants. But they get back to their homeland, back to Isaac, his dad, and he's still alive. You remember he before Jacob even left all those decades ago, he thought he was dying, but he's still alive. One hundred and eighty, it says being full of days. No doubt, one hundred and eighty, you're you're plenty full of days, I think. Uh, my neighbor is in his 90s talking about his brother being 99. He's like, I, I want to beat my brother. <laughs> uh, good, good for you. I'm sure he will. He looks like he's in better shape than, than me. But what a good thing, in a sense, to die old and full of days, not to die young in a wasted life and a wasted death. To see your life, to see it out, to live it well, to see the life of your children and grandchildren lived out and lived well. He's, he, Isaac gets to hopefully get to meet all his grandchildren. I assume they made it back and, and they met and had a reunion there. Uh, we were just talking about the other day, what it would be like to be grand, grand, grandparents, not yet. I don't want to think about that. Uh, but sincerely, how good that family was together yet for this other death, this important death of their grandfather and their father. And perhaps Isaac was holding on to see his sons together again. I hope he got to saw, see Jacob and Esau here. I don't know for sure, but they buried him. Hopefully they were both there, that you know, they were back in town before the funeral. I mean, it's sad to think that funerals sometimes are the things that bring families together but I hope that they had some time together and we see Esau again here but nothing more said you know there's no going on there's no what happened there's no communication I mean in some sense that's a good thing perhaps that means there wasn't any drama that everything was okay but man wouldn't it have been better wouldn't it have been better if this family was together because a family should be family And I ask, will we be gathered to our people in heaven like Isaac was? Will our lives be marked by obedience and dwelling in the right place? With one that's a path of altar set up over the years that we can look back and say, God was here, God was here, God was here. And I met him there. Marking where God has brought us from and to. Or are we going to die before our time, so to speak? Not full of years and holy exploits. Maybe we'll die in old age, but we haven't done anything really, truly significant. You know, I'm getting to be 38 in a month and I haven't done anything truly significant. I've done some things, perhaps my children, my wife, and there's some ministry things perhaps in the Lord, but worldly, they're not going to make a statue to me. There's not going to be a Tim Chanley Memorial Park, and I really hope there's not in a way. I just want there to be a memorial in heaven. Then when we get to heaven, there's people there. At least one. At least five. My wife and my kids. Maybe more than that. My family, my brother, my sister, my in-laws. But Second Corinthians 6, 1-2 says, We then, as workers together with Him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For He says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. That believer or not, listening to this, turn from your idols to the true and living God. There's still time. Whether you got one day left, if you do that one day for the Lord, it's as if you did it for a thousand days and it'll be worth it. Let him change your clothes, your sinful garments for robes of white. Take them off. Cast them away. Don't just hide them. Burn them. Throw them out. Don't give them to to the thrift store. Give them to the trash man. Why? That you may lead a full life from this day forward. Jacob messed up a lot. God gave him chance after chance. But you know what? He still was Israel. He still fathered a nation. The Messiah would still come through his line. And as we close the life of Jacob and begin soon to look at the life of his son Joseph, we're going to see the focus on this man's life, God's promises to Joseph, that Joseph lives a life that Really, you can't really find any really fault in it. You can find a lot of fault in Jacob's life, but we get to see his life with Joseph that is good and a great story, but I think sometimes it's hard to relate to in a sense because you go, man, if that happened to me, I wouldn't be as good as Joseph. But man, even the life of Joseph was a picture of the Messiah. And again, I love how God likes to give that taste to us. Uh, But he uses Joseph, and he brings him through a lot to save his family, a nation, and many others. But Joseph wouldn't have gotten here if God hadn't brought Jacob here. And if God hadn't done that work in Isaac and in Abraham and those before him. And God's not done yet. And God's not done with you or me. No matter how we feel this morning, no matter what we think of ourselves, God has a new name for us. So God, we love you. We thank you for loving us and making us new. By your grace and your blood, God, would you forgive us and wash us and cleanse us of all our sin, of all the times we turn back to idols and old ways and sin. And God, make us new and help us to choose you and to be governed by you, that we might dwell in your house, God, forever. We love you, God. Bless your people today. Bless uh, the people in this town and our neighbors and our friends uh, all over. We love you, God. Have your way and come soon, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.